Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Everybody Wait. take a sip and let me know what you think. Mm, is this lampshade, mm, John? The nose. Do you get the nose? It's delicious. Mm, that's lampshade. <laughs> so, yeah, we love lampshade coffee. And um, at, we get sent lampshade coffee by lampshade, and Meg Bullwear sends us we just say thank you coffee. And Fantastic. So thank you, lampshade coffee. And I think we're going to pass one of these and on guess to what? our guests. We're going to give one to our special guest oh. today. If he, if he performs well. Yeah. <laughs> We will. We always Depending, wait to the end. We'll, we'll wait to the end, and Let's then and know. then we'll we'll see. Maybe so we maybe, maybe yeah. we few, a few days to see if it yeah. trends. Fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. What, what percentage of folks get the coffee versus don't? We can't tell. Uh, you yeah, it's a, no, okay. it's a very low percentage. That's a low percentage. Figured. Yeah, it's about to get lower. Yeah. So. so if you if you post on your social media and it trends well there, and you link back to us, there's there's some there's okay. some. There's actually an algorithm we use. That's good to know because yeah. you can't post things apparently. So, <laughs> yeah. So I got you yeah. covered. After this I'll episode, <laughs> Matthew, I'm learning how to post. Matthew yes. Russell gets a social media yes. tutorial. Yes, our geriatric uh, <laughs> class. Back in my day, room 201. Yeah. <laughs> Did you bring the dial up, Jeff? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with AOL, folks. Nothing wrong. No you shame. Mail. <laughs> well. Michael, thanks for being with us. Matthew. Yes, John. I'm going into all these formal names. Yes, Jonathan. You know, Mike, <laughs> you know Michael way better than I do. Why don't you introduce Michael? Yeah, well, I mean, Michael is uh, probably one of the folks in ministry that I admire kind of the most um, of what he's doing. I've known him for a few years. When we moved back from the, uh, England to, to the States, um, somebody introduced me to Michael and said, you guys need to know each other. And so we met at a coffee shop and just became really fast friends and had a great conversation. Michael's a, um, the lead pastor in Galveston at Galveston. Co-pastor. Lead co-pastor. Lead, the lead, lead co-pastor. The lead the first among equals. Yeah. <laughs> He's the Pope. <laughs> the, he's co-pastoring a church <laughs> in Galveston uh, church plant. And, um, and it's just, I think you're, I'll just say this out loud. I think you're one of the brightest thinkers we have that, I, that I'm around. And you're taking risks in terms of what the church could and probably needs to look like in the future and are kind of creating some some paths for us in that way so um do i pay you now or later how does yeah, that work so just for, don't mess this okay, up okay, okay good you can, so, you can yeah. give me some of the yeah, coffee. some coffee yes i'll share with you <laughs> but it's a delight to have you here michael and, thank you and partly i think what john and i want to do is just um one hear about you know the the ministry that you're involved in in, in galveston and what's happening there and then just kind of pick your brains about kind of trends of the church and those kinds of things that we can be learning about yeah tell us the story i mean galveston this was a church that Either you started or renovated or reinvigorated or something. It's a little bit of all the above. So Central is a community that's been around since 1885. So like pre-1900 storm in Galveston. Uh, It was a community that was started by three adults and 13 kids in Miss Eliza Perkins' front yard off Avenue I. And uh, that little (laughs) mission Sunday school in Galveston grew. And they bought property kind of where we exist now. And uh, by the mid-1950s or 60s, this was a community that had a 1,000 people on the membership books. I mean, it was kind of the who's who in Galveston. The parsonage, the old parsonage is down the street and it's this super bougie, like big house, mother-in-law suite in the back, pool. Mariah still doesn't know that that's the parsonage because they sold it right before we got there. So that's our little <laughs> secret. Hopefully this she doesn't watch this, but. So we live in a very nice house, but not that. <laughs> but not but, a bougie yeah, house. Yeah, not a bougie house. Uh, and then, uh, 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 
you know, things changed. Like neighborhoods started changing and this congregation started aging. And when I got there in 2014, there were four people left in this big complex that had a thousand, just, yeah. you know, a couple wow. of decades before. And so we kind of um, started, Central's charter has existed the whole time. So it's always been Central United Methodist Church. Um, and so we tried to kind of continue on with that, uh, but recognized we were kind of spinning our wheels because this community now didn't reflect the community outside the walls. It had become literally like an island on an island and uh, had bad press in the neighborhood. It was known as kind of the old white racist church. The four people that were there, I think were the original members from that 1885. That actually works well in some places. It does, yeah, it does. Galveston's not one of them, but yes, okay. booming. <laughs> We, so good. We can put some lipstick on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yes, that's who I'm looking for. That's funny. So we, we shut it down for about four months. Um, made a lot of outside kind of cosmetic changes. Literally put boards up on the doors to make it look like it was a full change of management. And then reopened um, with kind of a vision towards the folks that church had stopped working for. Because the footprint in the building you have is like massive, but it's also quite at least at the beginning was quite dilapidated. Uh, and still is okay. actually, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll put my you PayPal Venmo link at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's like shabby chic or something like that. Emphasis on the shabby, so yeah, it's a mess. The newest renovation was from 1957, so um, hopefully we're gonna bring that up yeah. soon. But yeah, kind of this eye towards folks that, um, like none of my friends were going to church anymore. And so as we had an opportunity to kind of curate something that might be interesting to folks that have stopped going to church. And then um, we do a lot of work with Galveston's unsheltered population. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing place. Talk to me about the, I mean, so you have church on Sundays. I know some people that have gone down there on the yeah. weekends. I think Jim uh -huh. has come when he's down there. Yes. Jackson really, really admires you and likes you. But uh, the only thing I remember is like, you, you turn the sanctuary in like a living room? Yeah. And like couches and stuff. Right? Yeah, so that's, like, it was awesome. And then like, you don't wear shoes. That was the only I, thing I heard. That's it, that's all that there is to say. And that, no doubt, that just made that. the people so, then it just came. That's it, we gotta see Michael's feet. Like, that's what the draw is, so. It's a very weird crowd there. No, but anyway, but you started this thing. Tell, talk about like, when you got there in 14, I mean, how did that grow? How did mm -hmm. that expand? And then, I really wanna hear about I, I say hum, homeless, but unsheltered population, especially over the last year yeah, and a half yeah. with COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. How's that ministry been as a challenge? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so kind of started rethinking about space. I was really big on like our, our architecture has to reflect the values that we want the community to feel when they walk in. And so um, I've got friends that would never go sit on a pew in a church, but mm -hmm. they'll sit on my couch in my living room. And mm -hmm. so I literally put up a Facebook post and said, hey, if you're getting rid of a couch, let me know. And all these people did. And so we got a U-Haul and like drove around League City and Galveston and Texas City and just picked up all these couches. It was amazing. Delice them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's a regular thing. And uh, just put them in the sanctuary to try to have this feel when you walk in that it feels like home. And that's often what people will say when they walk yeah. in. Some of our unsheltered friends developed this little tagline for us that said, this is our home away from homelessness. And so whether that's like oh. physical homelessness or spiritual homelessness, you know, it's kind of become home for a lot of people. Is so. there a run like early when the doors open? Is there like a run on the couches? Yeah. Is there oh, a favorite yeah, couch? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like preferred seating. The, the yeah. pull out couches, you know, there's, you know, any of those things happening? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, there's, I mean, people are laid out everywhere. It's great. You gotta make sure the sermon is real strong. Cause like when you're preaching to somebody laid back, you know, coffee's gotta be good. So, uh, but it's a, it's a really fun space. Yeah. 
So, um, so 2018, we were having a picnic at Kempner Park, which is a couple blocks from the church. Mm-hmm. And um, Central's got good church folk, and it's a community place where a lot of our unsheltered friends, and I use that word, homeless is fine, um, but they would tell you they have a home, right? They may not have a house, but they have a home. And so we talk about unsheltered just for that language. But the park was a place where a lot of these people would hang out, and um, we had a big barbecue, and so being good church people, they did what you're supposed to do, and invited folks over to come eat with us, and they did. <laughs> and then being really good church people, they said, you guys should come to church on Sunday. And would you believe that these homeless people had the audacity to start showing to up, show up yeah. on Sunday morning? Yeah. And my people were just not ready for that, yeah. right? And so we, again, with this hospitality thing, we had snacks that we would put out for folks, and these homeless people were like hungry. And they like ate the food and didn't ask if it was okay if they ate the food. Yeah. And uh, and then we started developing relationships. And so from this very like organic space of meeting people uh, in a safe place and and um, learning about needs and, and knowing names and stories, we started developing some programs that came out of that. Mm-hmm. And so that little Kempner Park picnic now turned into every Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, we do showers, we do laundry, we do a hot meal that's provided for folks. We've got a bicycle repair shop because if you're unsheltered, your primary transportation around the island is on a bicycle and a flat can make the difference between getting a job or not. Mm. Um, we do a clinic, we've partnered with UTMB, so our whole second floor has med students and nursing students and social workers and a dentist that come in and help people meet really those kind of needs, yeah. <laughs> the last time I was there, you uh, walked me through, this was right before the pandemic, you walked me through um, a whole kind of suite of offices that have, uh, it's basically a laundromat. Yeah. Like, what's that about? Yeah, so uh, quickly, like, you know, uh, Beth, who's my admin person, her job description has that other duties as a sign, and that's like <laughs> 95% of her job. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was, again, meeting friends. They really became friends, and laundry was a big issue. And so she was taking people's clothes home. And we said, well, why don't we put in a couple washers and dryers up here? So we've got three washers and dryers that folks can do a load of laundry per week. and. It's a real dignifying thing. We don't do laundry for them. You get to come in and do it just like it was your washer and dryer, and because um, clothes are very intimate and personal, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, a chance for people to feel like clean and human, and you know, the rest of your world is folks looking down on you and not wanting to touch you, and yeah. this is a space where you get to kind of reclaim that peace um, that gets lost the rest of the week. So yeah, so it's a full like scale laundromat. Um, I remember that class we took in seminary about. Mm-hmm. Laundry, the laundry yeah. in laundry. the church. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. Bike repair was my favorite. One. Yeah, yeah, and and I love um, one of our values is mutuality, and so we take an asset based approach mm-hmm. to our service stuff. That instead of starting with what's wrong with you, it's it's what's right with you, and how can we leverage those gifts for the community, for the kingdom of God. So uh, there's a guy who runs our bike shop when he was like four or five, got really sick, had a fever that lasted for weeks. And so as a result of that, has some intellectual disabilities, can't read, can't write. But this dude can fix bikes like nobody's (laughs) business. And I'm like so mechanically like, challenged, it's not even funny. And so he just started working on stuff and we partnered then with a bike shop in Seabrook that gives us parts at cost or often free. And so this guy runs this bike shop for us and uh, partners with housed community members and unhoused community members. And so we're always, if you were to walk into Central, I think you would have a hard time, or I hope you would have a hard time uh, picking out who's homeless and who's not. Um, Mm. Because everybody's serving with each other, everybody has gifts to bring. 
And I think the bike shop is a neat like representation of that. Interesting. Yeah. That's great. I, one of the things I loved about and I love about your community is that like it's that you don't know who is who, yeah. right? Part of that is just the the uh, uniform in on the island is a lot more relaxed, right? Yeah, so, so this Sunday, is my Sunday yeah. best. So like, Sunday you show up in a t-shirt. I put and, shoes yeah. on for you guys. So yeah, you're <laughs> welcome. You. So But but there also my hunch is is that there's also tension between folks that um um maybe feel like that this is my community and then you have folks that are you know, um, on shelter coming in. Yeah. And although on a continuum of care, we all are struggling with kind of mental health issues. We know that um, kind of uh, unsheltered brothers and sisters often have um, lack of resources to engage Absolutely. with kind of mental health, health, <laughs> you know, on a formal level. So what, what has that been like to kind of bring these kind of two communities, so to speak, together and attempt to be seen as this is our community, this is us. Yeah, yeah, There's, it's really beautiful most of the time and it's really hard mm. a lot of the time. Um, our, our neighbors are not always huge fans of us because mm. it gets a little rowdy sometimes. So there's a lady from down the street who knocked on the door one time and said, you know, this used to be a really nice church. Like y'all would just do services on Sunday and that was it. When you had those boards up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we really liked that. And so uh, again, my admin Beth kind of quit back. She was like, you know, well, some of us feel like it's a church finally kind of was the answer. and. Mm. Um, so there's those kind of tensions between people that don't understand and haven't engaged in a relationship and, and the NIMBY phenomenon is yeah. real. You know, I love what you're doing, just please don't do it in my backyard kind of thing. Um, Wait, what'd you call that, NIMBY? NIMBY, not, not in my, my backyard. backyard. Oh, yeah. so not cool. Oh, I know, it's so That's hip. It's a big thing. Yeah. yeah, so people love like coming in and seeing what's happening, but if you were to ask them to recreate what's happening here in their church, they'd be very uncomfortable with a right. lot of it until it happens because I think we're wired towards kinship and belonging, right? I mean, Mother Teresa said, the thing that's wrong with the world is that we've forgotten that we belong to each other. Mm -hmm. And so the central experiment is really trying to remind people of that. You talk all the time about improbable friendships. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this is creating. So there's countless stories. Kempner Park, the same park where the picnic happened, is close to a couple that joined Central a couple years ago. They moved from Highland Park, United Methodist. Mm -hmm. So very similar to Central in terms yeah, of population. it's just like the neighborhood is the same. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they were real comfortable <laughs> when they moved in. And uh, yeah, it was great. One of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Texas. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. For yes. people who might not know. But delightful people. And um, so they were they started attending, they were walking through Kempner Park and the the man noticed all these people that were kind of sleeping, hanging out there and made a mental note to say, I need to call the cops when I get home because surely these people are up to no good. And as they're getting ready to exit the park, they hear a hey, and this guy calls out their name and it's Lucius, one of our guys who's sitting at a picnic table and says, I think I saw you guys at church. And they say, oh yeah. And so invites him to sit down at the picnic table and they have a two hour conversation that night and this guy goes home and doesn't call the cops, right? So it's that kind of like radical change that happens. Yeah. Brene Brown says people are hard to hate. Close, Close up. up. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So so creating spaces. Yeah. Um, I had an Old Testament professor that said the chief virtue of Christianity is not love, well, like we always think yeah. it is. He said it's actually curiosity because curiosity is that force that, that propels me towards my neighbor, uh -huh. right? Instead of kind of keeping a distance. And if you do some like word study, like curiosity, the root word there is cura from the Latin, which is the same word that we get cure from. Mm -hmm. So there's something about me being curious about you, John, that moves me towards you. And in that process, our mutual healing happens. God seems to show up in that space. And I think especially across the demographic divide where both sides have lost their humanity in some ways, mm -hmm. 
this is an opportunity for people to reclaim that. And the divine seems to show up every single time. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like we, we talked about this. It was in uh, last week. It was the practice, spiritual practice of paying attention yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and great. attending other people. Yes. Finding, you know, reverence in the moment. Yes. And that we think if we can pay attention to other people and connect to them, it's actually healing for us. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest yeah. problems we've faced over the past 18 months. Why you see such toxicity and divisiveness about everything. Mm. People have been disconnected. Yes. And it's easier to not like someone when you're not connected to them. That's right. We're only connected through social media, which yeah. is not real connection. No, no it's an artificial, no, no. I mean, it's literally filters, right? If you're on mm-hmm. Instagram. And so mm-hmm. you get to curate who you want to be. And um, yeah, it's an echo chamber. Well, it's often. filtered and it's also algorithmic in the sense yeah. that it's only going to populate your feed with the things that you already agree with that's right so there's no diversity in you're saying that's not healthy john is that what don't think that okay okay has not proved that (laughs) one one of the phrases you used um, last week in the sermon was this this phrase to turn aside Mm. you know rooted in moses's own story well that was actually the genesis wasn't my word but yeah yeah but you highlighted that same thing right that, that, that that phrase has like been like undoing me this week Mm -hmm. in the fact that um, when we're in tension, when we are um, constricted, we can't turn aside. Um, And that the spiritual practice of turning aside is being curious as to what the spirit might be doing in really places we don't expect the spirit to be doing. And and Barbara Brown Taylor says um, that, you know, he saw the bush, but then the scripture says he turned aside. He said, he said, I must turn aside and look at this. Look at this. So he already noticed it. But he said, I must turn aside and look at this. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, it was an angel of the Lord that was in the bush. But when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, God then spoke. So it was almost like <laughs> God wasn't in the bush mm-hmm. until he turned aside to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, God noticed that he turned aside and God said, okay, now I'll speak to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wonder how many burning bushes you walk by every day with people. Oh, exactly. And right. you don't turn aside to revere or pay attention to yes. them. And it's like... You think there's nothing there. Well, there's not anything there until you do. That's, That's right. exactly God right. shows up in that moment. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think finding That's those good. burning bushes in unexpected places, but also unexpected faces, right? Yes. And that's what Central's trying to do is put people together that have no business being together um, and say, maybe this is actually the world turned right side up is us interacting with each other in this way. Hmm. So yeah, and and I don't, Jesus talked all the time about the poor, right? I mean, that, it's so putting yourself here, like, I don't know, I, I wanna be where Jesus is, right? Which means interacting with people mm-hmm. that have had very different lived experiences than I've had. Yeah. And what's interesting to me in church, in church life is that some of the people who have the least willingness or the least uh, willingness to even support ministry to population like that are also tend to be people who ideologically don't support welfare or, or some type of governmental support yeah. for that crowd which I'd be like, okay, I'd be great, because they say, well, the church used to do that. Well, yeah, but the church doesn't do it anymore. That's exactly church right. Church doesn't want to do it. That's exactly right, um, yeah. You know, if you if you hang the shingle out and say, hey, come on, we're gonna go do what you're doing, a lot of people would say, no. Nah, yeah, so. yeah, until they get a taste of it, and then I think it's incredibly compelling. Yes. So I don't want to sell people too short. I, I do think it's, yeah, I don't know, whenever God shows up in these places, like you wanna be there. Yeah. And so that initial, again, it's that curiosity piece to drive people there. But the folks that have stuck around at Central wouldn't have been the ones that I would have guessed, right? These are some Highland Park folks that like you would just on the outside assume, like you don't have the capacity to do this work or to be here. And I've been proven wrong time and time again. Everybody has so the capacity. It's exactly right. Yeah. It's exactly Desire. right. Desire. Was yeah. it always like there's the need, there's the giftedness, and there's the passion. Mm. 
the three legs of the stool mm-hmm. to me it's always like discerning kind of where you fit and you've got people that their needs they are all around you right. right every day right they've got the giftedness but they have passion for it yeah which mm. is interesting yeah it's wonderful mm. but your neighbor down the road maybe not. we're still working on her <laughs> yeah on. yeah but never give up never give up yeah yeah you just you never know so we keep inviting her over and um and we do a lot of stuff over shared meals because there's something about eating together that I think is important. So hopefully she'll come to one of these dinners sometime. That's and awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. One of the things I see, I, I've often said to you that I feel like that your community is like this redemptive freak show. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it's the who's that, who of everybody who's a nobody, you know? Yeah, and some some that are. I mean, there's yeah. some folks that, sure. that have property and come to the island on the weekends, yeah. and that's, you know, and they're plugged in there, yeah. or they're seasonal. You know, they come down there when the weather's good, and they've got a couple houses, and, yeah. I, you know, the island's one of those places. And to watch this community that should not work, work you know, folks that should not be together that are together. Yeah. There's something that smells, it smells sometimes like feet, but it also, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it also smells like Jesus in the, that yeah. place. And I think, oh, y'all have moved beyond just the model of ministry that's we're going to serve and to a model of ministry that is really attempting in your local space to do kinship. Like yeah. this is us. Yes. Right. We are together in this. Yes. Right? And um, there's something about that I think that reflects on 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 the church writ large. I think that we have a lot to learn. Yeah, you know, and I think it's um, Greg Boyle talks mm-hmm. a lot about how it's not about taking the right stance on issues, mm-hmm. but it's about standing in the right places the right place. and with the people. And so, yeah, I think that again, redemptive freak show happens from people showing up, being mm-hmm. willing to be vulnerable, to expose parts of themselves that are. Um, messy and to be met with the messiness of others and then trust, yeah, that Jesus is in this redemption kind of business and something Mm -hmm. can be reclaimed and restored and you get these little glimpses of the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. God's been really gracious to us in that way. This is the thing that's resonated this week and before. It's like wisdom is not knowing the right thing to do. It's practicing the right thing to do, whether you succeed or you fail. Yeah. But then talking about this week in incarnation, it's, uh, you know, in John 13, when Jesus is now getting ready to go and he's before all of them, and instead of teaching them something to know, he he shows them something to do. Yeah. You know, so it's around a table, shared meal, you talk yeah. about that. Yeah. And he washes their feet. Yes. And so it's like eating, smelling, tasting, touching, you know, it's things. It's like he leaves them things to do. And yes. he says, Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Do yes. this. As I've done this to you, you do this to other people. Yeah. Not believe this. No. And that's why I think is um, very interesting to me in our culture, especially with with uh, kind of Christianity and culture and politics and all this. Is it's like orthodoxy now has become um, an idol. Yes. Um, yes. It's, it's an it doesn't idol. Go, yes. Yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did go. That was yeah, it. That was it. Okay. Oh, it. Yes. Now orthodoxy <laughs> yes. has become an idol. So it's like this this litany of things you have to believe. So. And, and yet, it's like I tell people sometimes, and I, I say it jokingly, but I think some people get offended and some people don't like it. But I, tell, I said, some, some of y'all go to too many Bible studies. Mm. I mean, you, you just, yeah. you're in, you go to too many Bible yes. studies. And I think some people hurts their feelings because like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, study the Bible. Right. But it's like, you know, mm. what does it lead you to do? Right. What does it do in your heart and your life? Because I know people who go to six Bible studies a week and they don't behave very Christian around other people right mm-hmm. so i don't really understand the, how the belief 
feeds over into actually, you know, practice and what you do. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the Protestant kind of move has been like the three B's, right? So the first thing you do is you believe the right things and then you behave like we behave and then you can belong to the community. And so at least what we're trying to think about is what does it mean to flip those on its mm -hmm. head mm -hmm. and say, no, just come belong. Like this is the most important thing first is come be a part of this, come be shaped by these people around you, uh, come be baptized. And when you are, you're included in this community and then the community's different. Right. So we got to rethink ourselves now with you a part of it. And that's like where, yeah, orthopraxy over orthodoxy, I Absolute, think, all every day. day and so, all day. Yeah. Well, Let's get and, tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be that's, a long. That's what, you know, I've talked about this before, but that, that Michael Polanyi who, who, who says that our believing at its source <laughs> is conditioned upon our belonging, mm. right? And so it is relationship always relationships always. that creates the not just the conditions but the very membrane the processes the structures for our believing that's right right and so when we ask people and we put the kind of red tape in front of people and say tell me what you believe and then i'll tell you if you belong that's that's absolutely upside down that's right. than what we see in the gospel of jesus that's right right particularly with the disciples i mean jesus has come and see Yes. It's not until three years into his early ministry that he drops the Bill Bright question, you yeah. know, of who do you say that I am, right? So it's you belong, That's belong, right. belong, belong. And out of that belonging and like John's saying, in the doing of those practices, that's the membrane that creates the, the, the what we believe. Yeah, yes. remember we talked about the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John is a question. What, yeah. are, what are you looking for? What are you looking so for? So good. That is and right. Then, it's so good. <laughs> and then and then his response after they respond to him, he goes, come, oh, come and see. see. Yes. It's it's sight, like yeah. Invitational. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, what are beautiful. you looking for? What are you looking for? I mean, I don't know. I think they were just looking for belonging. They were looking yeah. for meaning. Yeah. Something deeper than yeah. what they had. Absolutely. Yes. But I not think, 10 points in a, you know, like here, no, believe I, these I things. I think the yeah. same thing. I think yeah, you could right. figure out a way and really thought about it. But I mean, like, even when you talk about the church nowadays, and I mm -hmm. love the book of Corinthians because the church mm -hmm. was very divided. Yeah. They were all over the map. There was cultural differences, racial differences yeah. and all that. Like but they were already a community. Paul's writing to them. They're already a community. Right. But man, they are they're like really messed up <laughs> yeah. and he's he's writing to a group that belongs together mm. and the first thing he does is not it's not deeply theological mm. like the first three chapters of ephesians or something it's practical all right so they get upset when you eat the meat sacrificed to the idol so don't do that and I know you can do it. I know it's free for you. Right. Your freedom and your liberty, right. you yeah. feel like you're losing, but don't do it because out of love for them, it causes them to stumble, so don't do that. Yeah. So it's all practic practice. That's right. And then, then it kind of ends up in like, First Corinthians 13, yeah. you know, then it becomes theological. Right. Faith, hope, and love, yeah. the greatest of these right. is love. So I even think it's like constructed in the scripture. And Ephesians does it, you know, the first three chapters are, it's like, all right, here's the theology, here's the orthodoxy, mm -hmm. that's the calling but only matters if you practice the yeah. last three chapters. Yeah, it's like how you walk. Do you walk in a manner worthy? So is your walk of equal weight to the calling? Yeah. And if your it's walk's beautiful. not at equal weight, then what are you doing? Is, is, yeah. that because, is that because though um, at, the, at the outside, like, like Paul has this radical view that this new community, these new sets of relationships that are happening are actually where the very presence of Jesus is. Mm. And so it's, it's this like put on kindness, not so you're a kind person, so that you are a part of a fabric that's building a new way of seeing the world in this, this new sets of relationships. Mm. Right, yeah. and so I think often we end up putting these kind of Bible verses on a bumper sticker that says, you know, you know, be kind. You know, right? Yeah. That's great, but it's for the sake of this new fabric that is that you're part of being woven into. That's creating a new way of relating to each other, you know. And I think that's where 
often we have lost that, you know, that vision. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. You um, were up for an award on the Galveston Island uh, for being one of the citizen, citizen of the year award that had made the biggest impact in all of Galveston Island. Here's really? a kid. Are you yet 30 years old? I, I am. Yeah. When did you turn 30? Two years ago. Okay, so 32 years old, and he was up against all these other folks that had been on the island for a gazillion years, and here is a pastor that has been put up for Citizen of the Year. Is that correct? Yeah, if you pay people enough money, you can get any award yeah, you right. want, so... No, it was a huge, it was a great honor. Well, we yeah, already cool know the, the ministry you're doing. You didn't yeah, yeah, buy somebody yeah. off. That's exactly right. Yeah. Just take an extra <laughs> handy right. pastor of Highland Park <laughs> if you did that. That's where you buy the That's right. That's right. That's right. But I just think it's amazing that your community, the community of Galveston, is recognizing a church that's trying to operate in a different algorithm and relationship that says, this is what we want to value in this place. And that here's a person that in some way um, is catching flack from all sides mm. and uh, persisting on in this this new imagination. Yeah. And the whole community of Galveston came together and said, something's happening here in, in Central. And I just think... Um, I think that's amazing, Michael. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's been it's been really special and a neat galvanizing time where the work that started very uh, we talked before about the idea of fractals, yes. right? With uh, Project Curate, and so the idea that the change that you want to see wholesale, like you got to right. start small with. Mm -hmm. So we've been asking questions like, what does it look like to make Galveston or Central a just and equitable community? And folks now are starting to pay attention to that and saying, well, how does this translate to like our city, our county, yeah. these places? So it's been it's been really beautiful to engage with folks outside of the church for work that's just like dripping with kingdom values and mm -hmm. like the way that God I think wants the world to be. So it's been it's been a really exciting time. Mm -hmm. So we're working on some exciting housing things with city officials and with UTMB and um, getting medical care to folks that don't have it otherwise, immigration stuff, some racial justice stuff. It's been it's been amazing. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's the way the church is supposed to be. That I, I mean, you, you preach, 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 and you're trying to get people to live yeah. the life they're called to live and to, to, to like look and act like Jesus, and that that's what's going to change the world. Yes. Not, your political advocacy is not going to change the world. Mm. It's just really not. Your right. ideological purity is not yeah. going to change your the Facebook world. Your Facebook post is you not know, going to do it. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> and right. so when people feel like, well, well how are we going to make a difference uh. in the world? Well just the way the church has always made a difference in the world. Yeah. You know, you walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's right. The walk, you know, that's it's right. The do. The do. Yeah. Faith is a verb. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And, and then it's contagious for folks, right. That right. have had bad experiences with the church or yes. de-churched or whatever. So, you know, for UTMB, the state, funded institution that says, we need to partner with this faith community. It wasn't me knocking on UTMB's door saying like, hey, I need to get you to help my folks. They said, we wanna be a part of what you're doing because we feel like we're missing out if we're not here. Right. It's that kind of shift that I think, it's, it's contagious work. And I think we sell ourselves short sometimes. About That's right. People wanna be a part of this kind of stuff. That's right. What I love about your church and your story is not, it's not like you have a church and you did an unsheltered person ministry. Yeah. It's like, the whole DNA and identity is just, <laughs> yeah. it just is what it is. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of label for people who come from more traditional sort of organization churches. Yes. It's like, oh, they have a homeless ministry. Yes. Isn't that sweet? Yes. And, and a lot of folks, uh, volunteers will come in and say, what can we do? What can we do? And it's like, uh, you just got to come and be. Like, you just form relationships and just sit and talk yeah. with people. And that the work will emerge from that. Just like, if Matt were to call me up and say, I have this need, like, we've developed a friendship, a kinship that would... Yeah 
make space for that. So yeah, it's a different way of thinking about stuff. And I think that's all about power and hierarchy there, right? Oftentimes in ministry, it's very clear like who's in charge, who the haves are, you're the have nots, <laughs> I'm going to bless you with this. And then it creates the expectation of the model poor person, which says you have to be grateful all the time and you can never have a bad day and you have to accept exactly what I'm giving you. And don't come back for seconds. Exactly right, <laughs> yeah, we don't do that here. So it's a moving into more relational focus that says we all have things to offer and learn from each other. And, and that's what church is, right? That's what happens here at Chapelwood. Um, we're just trying to think about who else can we invite to the party. Yeah. Earlier, I mentioned the the last year and a half, COVID. How, I mean, I can't imagine if you're already in a desperate, difficult situation. I mean, how's it impacted your church, and how's it impacted people who are unsheltered in Galveston? Yeah. So for us, um, we stopped corporate worship in person March of twenty. 20, and then we just went back to in-person in June. So we've only been back for about two months, three months, I guess. Um, but during that time, our social services kept running. That's when a lot of these partnerships were formed because we recognized this time more than ever, like hygiene is vital, people staying clean and being able to shower and get clean clothes. Um, it was already hard for these folks to find a job. And so the economic turmoil of a lot of entry jobs were being shut down and so, yeah. Um, that was really challenging for folks. Um, but the resiliency that we saw from our community was really inspiring, the way that they continued to love each other. Um, there's, there's one lady uh, that comes, she shared a prison cell with Andrea Yates, if you remember that story oh, wow. from yeah. Clear Lake. She, you know, tragic story with her kids. And uh, she's got these great stories of singing Father Abraham to Andrea Yates in her prison cell. Um, and so I asked her one day, you know, how, how do you, um, like, I don't think I would believe anything if I had the experiences that you sold into um, human trafficking, like at an early age, lived on the streets for decades. I don't think I'd have any faith if I had your story. And she says, well, pastor, I got me some spiritual cojones, is what she says. And then she says, you know, you know what cojones means? I said, I do, thanks, I do. So, you know, it was a chance, I think, over the last 18 months to really see the spiritual cojones of Central and these yeah. people that show up. And for the haves, again, to like divest themselves of some things and be in relationship with people. Um, and then partnering with agencies. So we were able to put on, uh, so backing up, when Leak City, or UTMB started doing their vaccines. They were doing these mass vaccination sites up in League City, you get in your car, drive through, get stuck. Um, we were trying to get a van together to get some of our folks to go up. And when we had signups, like 7% of the people that were there um, were willing to sign up and go get vaccinated in League City. When we called UTMB in the health district and said, we really need to have a vaccine site here at the church so people can get access, both our Spanish speaking folks and our unsheltered folks, um, we had something like 87% of those same people sign up because they trusted this place and mm. they trusted their pastor and they trusted the community. And so they didn't know who those folks were in Lake City, but they trusted the people here. And so, yeah, being able to partner with those kind of groups and agencies and get people access to things that they wouldn't have otherwise, uh, it was really wonderful and really hard you know, some of mm -hmm. our most, our numbers have gone through the roof over the last 18 months for who we're serving and folks that are kind of on that fringe line of almost being homeless, um, that number's growing. Galveston's got a poverty rate of like 22%. Really? Yeah. It's high. It's huge. Um, it's really high. So like one in five adults is at the poverty line or below it. And then that doesn't count the folks that are just above it, right? 
and uh, one in four kids grows up. And then you do the, you pull out racial demographics and the numbers just get crazy, mm-hmm. um, crazy, crazy. So I thought it was just all beach homes. There's a lot of them and that's become, I mean, gentrification is a problem down there too. So both homes on either side of me have turned into Airbnbs over the last really? like couple months. And I think that's probably an effect of some of the COVID stuff too. But yeah, it's not 50,000 people live there and 10,000 of those are at or below the poverty line, which is wild. Mm. So you kind of get this very romantic vision of, yeah, Destin. Our beaches are just like Destin, too. Um, beautiful <laughs> yeah, white yeah, beaches, yeah, right. clear water. <laughs> that's, one, that's why I moved there. We call it G-Town Brown down there. Yeah, so. yeah it is. Um, <laughs> but muddy, yeah, there's real... water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like underneath that, there's real people that live in that community and mm-hmm. um, that have been hit hard by the COVID pandemic. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're resilient, emerging out of it, but it's been a challenging for people that already don't have much to have even more taken away. And you were mentioning earlier, Matt, the mental health stuff. Um, yeah. When you lose access and all healthcare goes uh, virtual and you don't have don't a have. cell phone or you don't have a screen, yeah. like that becomes a huge problem, Yeah. right? So I think so, what we all felt was more acutely felt by that population. So five years from now, um, we're, like, what's your deepest hope for, uh, for mm. Central? I hope I'm still employed. That's a big one. But that for, the, a- <laughs> <laughs> for the community, um, I think that we just continue to dig deeper into relationships um, and that we'd be able to, yeah, I think there's lots of really beautiful anecdotal stories, but like having some of the metrics to show like real community change. That Galveston, like that moral heartbeat of Galveston, that Central has a role in affecting like real community change. And that Galveston is a place that cares about its people, especially its poor people. Um, in all the ways, spiritually, um, healthcare, you know, economically, all these things. And that Central can have an important part of influencing that mm-hmm. and being a part of that. And continuing to like reclaim the idea of sanctuary, right? It's a word we throw around all the time, but for many people, church is not a safe place. Mm-hmm. And so to keep doing that work for whatever population demographic you find yourself in, like being able to come and find respite and rest and um, yeah, the divine in our walls. I hope that that's what we can be. Fantastic. What do you see? I mean, so you talk about the future of your church at Central, but yeah. when you think about American Christianity, <laughs> nah, not to get into a depressing subject. Yeah, but, this is very sad, Charles. So. <laughs> no, but when, when you think about, um, you know, the fastest demographic, growing mm-hmm. demographic is unchurched or unaffiliated, yeah. un- unaffiliated, non-religious or a-religious a or find themselves as spiritual but not religious. They're not associated with any. Right. And, and actually, this recent studies came back, although, you know, um, the evangelical church wants to say how it's flawed, but you see mainline churches actually ticking up a little bit. Yeah. And evangelical churches kind of ticking down. Yeah. Which is surprising because mm-hmm. you always think they're the ones uh, that grow. And that's the argument that even uh, some real conservative churches yeah. will make is like, we're faithful, we're fundamental, yeah. we grow. We're orthodox. We you, put the fun <laughs> you, fundamental. Yeah, yeah you, you, you've changed things, so you're going you're gonna to drown and right. die yeah, and keep yeah. declining, and the That's stats right. don't bear that Abandoned out. Abandoned hope. But I wonder, is there some way that the mainline church and what we've done is now appealing to a segment of, mm-hmm. of the population and community that doesn't want to see church? Like you said, like we said, like not in my backyard kind uh-huh. of churches, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what is American Christianity when you think about, I mean, if you, if you were in charge, you're the Pope of American Christianity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Welcome. Wow. Come what on. an honor. Yeah. Come on. Welcome, Papa. buy some shoes, dude. <laughs> Welcome, Papa. Well, uh, I mean, what, what, what would be the script or the suggestion or? It's good. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think part of maybe the, the, that mainline, like 
going up thing, I think it's what you spoke to earlier about the need for like ritual and practice. Like we, we can't do abstract all the time. And so there's something about liturgy and about yes. ritual and making things that are out here tangible for people, mm -hmm. right? We do Eucharist communion every week at Central because people need a physical reminder of these like spiritual realities, I think, lenses to see the world. And so I think there's something about that that's really appealing to folks. Um, I think the willingness to like ask really good questions. When Jesus talked about having a childlike faith, like most of us go to this blind obedience kind of space, but if you've been around kids, like all they do is ask, why, why, why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so opening up to doubt and faith as these divine dance partners that I Absolutely. think go hand in hand. Um, I think that's important. I think, I think especially the younger generation that's really critical of institutions is asking a lot of really good questions about leadership and money and transparency and okay, what impact are you actually making besides paying like Michael's salary kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So having tangible results for that out there is I think important for the church going forward and just being willing to get gritty and messy. We probably 20% of Central would fall in that like de-churched unaffiliated category. Like they wouldn't claim a theistic like box to check or whatever, which is interesting, mm -hmm. but they're still drawn to this community and they wanna be a part of the things and they don't know what to do during worship on Sunday mornings often. It's very just different time for them, but they wanna be engaged in this way. And so I think opening up more opportunities for folks like that is gonna mm -hmm. be important. Mm -hmm. Again, belief is not the criteria I was for entry. Say that. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. If, if belonging is is the entrance, yeah. you belong. That's it, right? Then then you ask a question. All those questions later. Yeah. After there's a set of relationships. Yeah. Right? And so yeah. So we're having an interesting. Like we just had some folks join the church, and the UMC is these beautiful vows that you take. Mm -hmm. But there's, a, there's a, a segment of my population that isn't ready to take those vows yet, but they wanna root themselves in this community and they're interested in pursuing. So we're trying to think through like, what is what does something else look like where they can make this like covenantal commitment to this yeah. community, but that confessing Jesus Christ piece, like they're just not quite there yet because of trauma or experience. And um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And for people who are not inside denominational Methodists, we don't have constituent vows. Yes. Right. Yes, that's right. You're just on the constituent role. Right. But there's mm -hmm. no, there's, there's, I, I like that. I mean, because, man, if you think about those vows, do you reject the evil forces oh. and wickedness in, in the world? And do you repent of your sin? And did you accept the freedom that give, God gives you to oppress, you know, to resist oppression and right. whatever forms they find themselves? And I mean, you can get to that believe in Jesus. Yeah. You know, but the first two, man, you, you've got to swim through that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's, yeah. it's a huge you commitment you're making. And those almost seem like, in, in, in a sense, like I know we do baptism again differently um, uh -huh. than uh, it, in Methodism, but it almost seems like the vows for membership are really the vows about baptism, really about discipleship. Mm -hmm. Now that you've gotten to know us, now that you belong, now that you spent time here, now that you've asked all your questions about Jesus, will you take these things on? Right, right. And I think that's the flop and the flip that needs to happen. Yeah, you know, um, and. and I think baptism is interesting too with like the church's commitment. I've been wrestling with this yeah. lately is often like with baptism, there's a discipleship process that goes on ahead of time. <laughs> and we're asking people to ascend to these certain like beliefs 
and then you get to come be a part of our club. But if baptism is really this act of claiming and yes. now you're a part of us, we have to rethink about who we are now that you're a part of this, right? And so it changes even the church's identity, how we think about ourselves, how we move. So we can't just do the same thing after we welcome people in, right? Because we're different now, fundamentally different. Is that because the people that you have welcomed in now have a claim on the identity of what you've just welcomed we in? We belong to each right? other, yeah. <laughs> so it's not, we want your conformity to come in here and this is how we do it. It's now that you belong to us, we have to change as well who we are. Boom. Because now you have a, um, um, you have a uh, you have a weight to bear in this place, and your voice matters. That's so it. there's a place, you know, when we do the baptism, we have the, those vows we just talked about, and then there's a place for the congregational response. Yeah. You know, with God's help, yeah. we will yeah. so order la da da da. And there's one line that goes, "We will pray for him." You know, we will pray for him. We'll pray for her. Yeah, that God may blah 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 blah. And I remember years ago, a lady came out of church service in, in my church, and she said, "I don't say that." So what are you talking about? She goes, the stuff that we say after the baptism, I don't, I don't do that. And a lot of these people shouldn't say that. It's like, what are you talking about? She goes, I'm not going to pray for them. I don't even know. And she said, and a lot of these people are saying that and they're not going to pray for him. And I maybe thought, I was like, she's probably got some kind of a point, although she was being a little turd about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) I was like, you know. Which is an actual congregational category. Yes, it's it's a spiritual category. Exactly right. The gift of turdiness. Uh, Turdiness. (laughs) We got a couple of those. But I mean, it made me think, I was like, yeah, there are people that say it and don't mean it. But but symbolically, liturgically, that's the place where the church speaks, you know, corporately that like, all right, we're going to walk alongside of you. Yeah. That's right. So it does work both ways. Yeah. It's not just presenting the child or you're being baptized. It, it's one of the reasons why in our tradition, you know, you we, we encourage to do it within the community. Yes. Baptism happens yeah. within the community. Yes. Yeah. Uh, COVID has changed a lot of that. Sure. Community has become, I've had to figure out on the fly whether we do a private family baptism where I try to find someone, will you come and sit in the back and be represent chapel yeah, the community right? yeah. uh-huh. and if it can i said i'm going to represent yeah. the church now yeah. in this place and yeah. space yeah. This, that's super interesting to me about baptism like uh, one time at, at mercy street there's a, a folks that um we had baptized some uh, a woman that was in a um, halfway house and then she was remanded to long-term prison care and she had a child mm-hmm. we had we had baptized them a, a, a few weeks uh, before there's a members of, of of chapelwood and who came to mercy street that said um came to my office and said didn't we just baptize that woman and i said yeah and we kind of talked about that when we said these vows didn't we say we were going to do this and i was like yeah, this is all like academic to me. That just was like, you know, this is another ritual. They said, then doesn't that kid belong to us? Mm. And um, he's about to get um, put into the Foster the foster care. And, and I said, yeah, they said, we've been really, we, we wake up at night thinking about him. They went and took all the courses they needed to do, and they fostered to adopt Shut this up. kid. And he not, he was raised in oh. our community as a kid that was, I think, six or seven at the time, maybe even earlier, and all the way through um, high school graduation and beyond. Those folks are still in our community, right? It's incredible. Those folks taught me about baptism. Mm-hmm. My my um, denomination did not. Mm-hmm. My, um, my, my classes in seminary did not. I had no idea about what it meant to be claimed by baptism until those folks showed up and said, that kid's ours, isn't it? We said these words, yeah. right? That's the difference, I think, that um, we're attempting to understand uh, in the gospel of Christ. And that goes back to wisdom is not knowing. Yeah. Wisdom it's is knowing. practicing. Yeah. You know? Come on. It's so good. That's Come awesome. On. I love that story. I do too. 
it's it changed me. I think he's got great stories. Well, Michael's got great it's stories. It's amazing. I love you guys. Love <laughs> How about your family? How's your family doing? Tell us about your family. Everybody's good. Um, so I'm married to Mariah. Um, I'm doing way, the, way above yourself. Oh, I'm doing the trophy just, husband thing for sure. You so started, yeah, she's brilliant. Um, she she's an occupational therapist, and Ooh. so she's doing a fellowship right now at Tier Memorial Herman, mm-hmm. uh, becoming like a neuro specialist. So she works with people that like, like she was treating somebody the other day that had got shot in the head the day before. And she's doing therapy with this guy and gonna like give him, you talk about resurrection or redemption, like literally giving people their lives back. So she's brilliant and amazing and fun and wonderful. Um, No kids, but we have a dog named Crouton, named after the delicious salad accessory. And she's uh, (laughs) the joy of my life. dog Crouton. Yeah, she was small and brown when we got her. (laughs) And delicious. And yeah, I don't know, but yeah, she's she's great. She's, uh, She's part pit, she's a little bigger than a Crouton. She grew. Um, I don't know. I've some Caesar salads, and the croutons are really big. They, yeah, this is this is. We shouldn't need her loaf or something. So she's she's great. So yeah, but family's good. You know, um, Mariah being healthcare, COVID has been crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah. she's resilient and yeah, doing great things. That's great. Well, man, thanks for coming and being with us today. It's so fun. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thank you guys. We wish we had some wisdom to share with you, but. Do you want to share any more wisdom? No, I'm Do you I'm have out. any? I'm, I'm out. out. Yeah, no. Actually, this may get edited out. I would love for Michael to talk, like what we talked about aphasia. I think John, I think that's a great sure. little kind of nugget. But we may this? not use it, but would you talk about like. No, all right, well, we're not ending. We're going to talk about aphasia. Okay. Aphasia. Is that okay. where you see colors and shapes? No, no, no. no that's, a, that's an LSD trip. Yeah, that's, that's an LSD <laughs> trip. Well, aphasia. That's after this. <laughs> yeah. So. Aphasia is like not being able to, to, to either think of a word, but you can't say it, or to see an object that you don't know what it is. And so it's a, it usually has to do with a neurological disorder. My mom had it when she had brain cancer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But I thought your insight into that in terms of the language that we're speaking, in terms of our cultural divides, yeah. was super helpful to me to, uh, today. So Okay. And this is, this is all Mariah, because she's the brilliant neuro specialist. So like she'll work with patients that have aphasia, and there's two different kinds. There's expressive aphasia, and then another one that I don't remember, but two kinds. And the idea is like, one of them is I see this cup right here in front of me, but I can't find the word for cup in my like brain. So I might call it couch or John or keys or something like that because I can't locate the word anymore. I know what the object is, but you I can't find the word within me. You know the function you of use it, it you all of this. The word, the word isn't accessible. The other kind of aphasia is, John, you would say cup, and I would have no idea what you were talking about. I can't locate the real object from the words that you're saying. And so I think for church, like talking about the shifts right now, I think there's like theological aphasia happening where people either from church leaders are hearing words that are, pastors are really good at speaking Christianese, churchy language that doesn't relate to real world experiences. And so they're hearing these words and unable to locate anything real that's coming out of like what's coming from the pulpit or church expressions. Or the reverse is there's experiencing the divine in very real ways outside of the church. Yes. But because of lack of discipleship or really closed off understandings, they can't pull words out to name that stuff as divine or as cut from within them because their lexicon is so small. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, we're losing folks because of language stuff. I mean, you were talking about Wittgenstein yeah. earlier and um, 
So not being able to locate, I think we're doing a poor job of helping people connect God talk to like real lived experiences or help people exegete their own lived experiences and see the divine working. That's right. Wow. Which sounds like reverence stuff. Well, yes. it was funny. I was just, it made me think because last week we, I used yeah. reverence a lot. I mm-hmm. thought I did a good job explaining what reverence was. I follow you on Facebook. I saw, so uh, I, saw I know a, all about uh, reverence. I saw a, uh, <laughs> I, I, I ran into a mom of a teenager and they were in church and she was listening and she kept asking her mom, what's reverence? What's oh. reverence? And I realized it was like, man, I didn't do a good job connecting at a you know 15 year old level is reverence. Yeah. But but when you were talking about aphasia, someone's yeah, called aphasia. Uh-huh. All, all I could think about was the Ted Lasso episode. <laughs> I haven't where, seen it yet. Oh yeah. It's where, on my list. Where Come on. He talks Here's about it. they call it semantic satiation. Mm, where yeah. it's like you say a word over and over again, like grace, 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 grace. And I'll say, wait a minute, it's grace. grace. And it, it loses its meaning. It yes. doesn't have exist anymore. Yes. Like grace, grace, grace. Yeah. If you say it enough, it's just I don't know what it means. It means nothing. Yeah. I yeah. lost it. And yeah. I'm thinking we've used some words in the church that just like, I don't even know what they mean anymore. Right, and like, some well, words, it, this is what I picked up from you, are, are wounded words, yes. right? Words that we shouldn't use anymore yeah. because we need new, because they come with such baggage from people, yeah. especially people that have experienced spiritual or religious trauma. Like, it's something they don't mean anything, they mean bad things yeah. now. And so how do you reclaim that idea, that movement without using those? Yeah. I mean, evangelism is a beautiful word, but for so many people, like, it comes with, really problematic you can't yeah you can't use it you can't, can't use an evangelical right you know yeah which is interesting because as denominations split you know one side wants to label themselves as evangelical yeah realizing that like the whole culture views this thing like in people that are not churched look at that term it's a dirty word not a that's, right. that's right and even i think sometimes and this is this is maybe beyond the pale but in some ways even the name of jesus uh, the way that it has been culturally configured and constructed has become a barrier to the very presence and person of Jesus, yeah. right? And so sometimes the church, and we talked about this before, John, that often the church is is answering questions that no one is asking. Yes. And so we create this whole system of yes. language and we say, this is the important stuff, but where people live, move, and have their being, it's so disconnected. How does this have anything to do with my three o'clock self that gets woken up and says, what am I going to do with my life? life yeah. or where does this anxiety get met and what you know and the church is out here pumping up these words yes. that is absolutely disconnected and so you have folks that show up in church in utter desperation and we've got nothing to offer them because we've invested in the wrong words and meanings right and we've created aphasia That's it's right. almost like a cultural creation of that we are the brain injury <laughs> we are the, the church yeah brain we're injury. the trauma yeah all i'm thinking about is a lot of churches that i know and won't name names and they probably don't listen to this podcast but you know it's we're we're like in pandemic coming out of pandemic and this their sermon series has been love sex and marriage yeah or faith in the movies yes yeah, yeah. and i'm like because this is what people need right now. Yeah. Right? That's exactly what I need yes. right now yeah. is faith in the movies, yes. which is total distraction, which I guess is what a lot of people want. Yeah. And what I mean, when, you, when you're under such trauma, what's the best thing in the world? Just ignore it. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Drugs. You know, well, that's so, what it is. is. <laughs> but no, no it right, is. Don, it's yeah. a drug. It's an epidural. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> right? What do they call that stuff? Drugs and alcohol. and Yeah. Good stuff. Just covering up the symptoms. Yeah. Anxiety management system. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Churches are anxiety management systems. I think often right. 
I think often, yeah, and numbness to reality often. Hmm. Yeah, I'm concerned that, you know, we're talking about like right now, it's like, what do we remember if we look back and see, we thought we were gonna be out of COVID, but apparently we're still in it. Look back and remember, you know, what did we learn? Mm. But what mm. lessons should we have learned that we didn't learn? Yeah. You know, we missed. Yeah. Or what lessons are we too willing to like leave behind mm-hmm. that yeah. we need to take with That's us? Really good. And so when you debrief from the pandemic, which we're still in, it's like, you know, what's something from the pandemic you don't want to give up? Mm. Some new practice or thought or way of viewing mm. the world. You don't want you don't want to give that up. Mm. And then what's the parts you just want to give up you get away yeah. from? Is that stuff too, but it's good. It's a lot. Hey, yeah. you did a Do good job to today. So uh, we're, yeah, we are going to let you. We're not even going to. Wow, we're not even going to wait <laughs> no. to see what the, you know, the, the cycle in the social but, but media is. But don't open it until we do, because we may ask you to. I'll send, send it back. back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll pay for postage. It'll be fine. So, no, this is great. Thank you guys so much. Congratulations. For, thanks, you know how to use that? I'll fi- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a coffee guy. Good, good, good. All right. You just eat them, right? Yeah, just candy on the way back to Galveston. Yeah, to suck on a pop them in. Really delicious. Michael, thanks for being with us. Yeah, John, for spending so some much. time. Yeah. Come see us again. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or we, we should do an episode in Galveston. Dude, y'all would have so much fun. Dude, yeah, we could. We could go to Central folks? and yeah, have some so of your people. Fun. They would Let's love do that. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's how Kool Aid. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And I'm Michael Ginger. And this is Pod Have Mercy. <laughs>